I'm Sasha Goff. I'm Tammy Goff. And this is Will It Fly, a podcast where we watch the first episode of a TV series and let you know whether or not we think it's worth watching. So you don't have to. Because it's all about you. It's all about you, baby. So I love this show. Yeah. As soon as we started it, when you were over having dinner, and I was just like, yes, this is the one. We're going to do this. This is amazing. I love this show. And then I realized, oh, my God, it's DC, and I don't like any other DC shows. I'm all about the MCA. MCU. MCU. MCA is a Leonard Skinner song. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm all about MCU. So this is like the first DC show that I really, really like. Yeah. Because I don't give a fuck about Superman. No, I've never been a Superman kind of person. No. And what's the other one? Batman? Batman, yeah. Fuck Batman. There ain't no been no good Batman since Michael Keaton, so psh. <laughs> and Prince did the soundtrack, so they should have just ended it right there. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. He did a song called Bat Dance. Oh, I'm going to have to go look that oh, up. Oh, yeah. You got to look that up. Yeah. So Sandman, it's just started. So we've only got one season. It's going to be 11 episodes. It's Netflix and Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment who produce it. Based on a 1989 to 1996 comic book by Neil Gaiman. (sighs) Neil Gaiman, isn't he like a... Why do I know him other than this? I have no idea. It's it's something to do with spirituality. I don't know. I should have looked it up. Anyway, so it's a comic book by Neil Gaiman. was published by DC... So I would I did a deep dive because I was just all about this show. Just for listeners, this is one that I actually like. Probably the first one since we did Game of Thrones. <laughs> the rest of them I hated. This one I really like. So I did a deep dive. But Neil Gaiman, his family is Scientologist and Jewish. Wow. That's kind of a combination. Yeah. <laughs> They're from England. Um, he could read at four. Wow. So I was like, same. I was reading Alice in Wonderland when I was five. (laughs) Which is funny because the next note is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was one of his favorites. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was my first like chapter book. And that was the one that I passed down to you. Yep. Had the original art and all that stuff. Yep. He wrote Coraline. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, He writes with a fountain pen. Oh, I love that. On his first draft of his movies. Was in the Big Bang Theory as himself, which we need to look that episode up to see what why why he was there. So on to the story. Sandman premiered in, on 8-5-22. I think we watched it shortly after that. Tom Sturridge plays Dream slash Morpheus. See, I told you his name was Morpheus. Boyd Holbrook plays Corinthian, a nightmare. I don't know either one of those guys. Vivian our Champon plays Lucienne. She's the caretaker in Dream's absence. And here's my favorite. Patton Oswald plays voice of Matthew the Raven. Who we don't meet this episode. We do not meet him this episode. And then my other favorite, Mark Hamill, plays the voice of Mervyn Pumpkinhead, which we see but do not meet. Okay. Neil has been trying to make this a movie since the 90s. Liam Hemsworth was considered as Corinthian, which... Mm, I don't think that would have worked. No. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave him 86% average. And then 7.6 out of 10 was on IMDb. And I'm like, what? 
that's the same as disjointed. Well, if disjoint- it's worth anything, it's at a 7.8 now. Oh, woo! Went up 0.2. But to put this show in the same category as disjointed is just not even... No. Not even close. Patton was the first actor who was cast even before it was pitched to Netflix. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's a big comic book guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't wait to hear him be the Raven because I'm sure it's going to be super sarcastic. Anyway, so IMDb. IMDb says upon escaping after decades of imprisonment by a mortal wizard, Dream, the personification of dreams, sets about to reclaim his lost equipment. Which, okay. Yeah, uh, it's a description. That's for sure. <laughs> I think there's a lot more to it than that, but. It's close. It doesn't exactly explain what the show is about, in my opinion. Exactly. And it doesn't really even touch on what the pilot episode talks about a little bit. Exactly. It's more about what I assume the rest of the show is about, which I think makes sense, I guess. But I feel like it should also include what was going on in the pilot episode. There's a lot happening. There. There's a lot in the pilot episode. Yeah. That is not even, I mean, that's that's not even the Cliff's Notes version. That's like extreme edited version of if you're looking what it's f- about. If you're looking for a very basic explanation, that'll do it. But no, I don't think that's a good description at all. Mm-mm. And like I said, it's got a 7.8 out of 10. I I just can't believe that. that. That's just terrible. All right. So should we get into it? Let's do it. All right. Let's go. So the first episode, the pilot episode is called Sleep of the Just. Which I'm not sure how that kind of relates to any of it. I didn't, it doesn't make, I mean, it doesn't really explain what the first episode is about. No, I don't think so either. I don't think it did a really good job of capturing, because it's chapter one, which I don't like when shows do chapters like that. Uh Uh-huh. But it is a comic book. It is a comic book, but... Okay, so I'll give it that. It's a comic book, so I'll give it the leeway on that one. But I think that for a title of a chapter, you want to be really encapsulating what you're about to watch. And I don't think that that title did it at all. No, not at all. I don't think I didn't get anything from that title. No. Anyhow, we start out with Dream narrating for us. And he's explaining who he is and what he is. And... As he's narrating, uh, we have visual of a guy in a car who's kind of dozing off and a raven flying around. The thing I took from this was he says, as if your waking lives are all that matter. And I'm like, yeah, we totally ignore everything but our waking lives. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much more out there, Mm -hmm. metaphysically speaking. So then he explains his what his realm is and how he's the king of dreams and nightmares. And as he's saying all this again, we see his realm and we see like this giant door opening and we see this bridge. And to me, the bridge reminded me of the rainbow bridge. The bridge was really cool. I want to take a second because that was one of the first things that like caught my eye about this show is that, oh, this is about to be visually something worth watching. Yeah. Because the bridge was being held up by two stone hands. That's and I amazing, thought that yeah? was so cool. That was very cool. And and the fact that it reminded me of the Rainbow Bridge from Asgard. Oh, yeah, you're right. 
a, lo- a lot. Yeah. So the raven takes us through the castle into a library and two people are having a discussion. And while they're having this discussion, you see a gas mask sitting on a chair and the person, the male talking, picks it up and puts it on his face. This is Dream. So his mask and his helmet is this really steampunky, gothic looking gas mask that uh, honestly, it is a style choice. And I'm wondering, and I wish I had thought to look this up earlier, is that what he wears in the comic books? Because it didn't really make sense to me for a gas mask, but I was really impressed by what they did and how it made him look. It made him look kind of spooky, which I like the idea that the dream is a little bit spooky looking. Yeah. Instead of just like this fantastical, when we think of dreams, we think of good dreams. Right. He's neither a good dream nor a bad dream. He just is. And I really like that kind of spookiness that they had to him. But is it a gas mask? Because the bottom of it is a spine. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, the bottom of it, the thing that looks... It reminded me of like a pharaoh's beard on the death mask. Yeah. It's a spine. Oh, I didn't notice that. And then the top of it reminded me of like a bee with the big black eyes on Mm. it. I thought it looked like a gas mask. But then, you know, the spine coming out of the bottom of it was like, "Mm, no, that's not like a breathing apparatus. That's just him being fucking cool. Yeah. (laughs) So he's talking to this woman named Lucy Ann, and the woman seems to be close to him and reminds him that dreams rarely survive in the waking world. So they're having this really deep conversation. And I think that was the big point that I took away from it was that the dreams rarely survive in the waking world, but nightmares seem to thrive there. He tells Lucien, uh, obviously she's worried because what you said, he says that he creates the dreams and the nightmares and he must control them or they will destroy us. He says, that's my purpose and my function. So that's why he's going to the waking world because there's something going on over there. And you can kind of see in the stained glass because it changes to the face of a guy. Yeah. Who we find out who that is later. And then we get the opening title, which was very quick to the point. Yep. So the car that was carrying the man during the beginning is arriving to this place that looks like a beat down old mansion. So the man gets out of the car and he's standing there and... He rings the doorbell and a young boy answers. And the man introduces himself as Dr. John Hathaway. And he's of the Royal Museum. And the boy asks, are you here to see the Magus? Dr. John says that he's there to see Mr. Roderick Burgess. But the boy explains that his father likes to be called the Magus, which means the sorcerer. So this man thinks very highly of himself. So he lets Dr. John in the house and they're walking around and there's these creepy people walking around on the top. And then they walk past a door that has these chanting people chanting here in the darkness. And all the people who aren't half naked and trying to kill themselves are in black hooded cloaks, robes. So a man named Mr. Sykes closes the door and says that the Magus will take him into the study. So the boy, his name is Alex, asks if he's come to join his father's order, the Order of the Ancient Mysteries. And I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds very spooky. And based on everything that I've seen, at that point, if I was Dr. John, I'd be like, yeah, I'm out of here. (laughs) That is a no for me. Big creepy. Right. So the Magus walks in and... I recognized him immediately, but I couldn't place where I recognized him from. The actor is Walter Charles Dance and happened to be born on 1010. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, in 1946, which is grandpa's birth year. Yep. 
Um, but he played Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. Oh. So he is Tyrion's father. Yeah. And the the incestuous twins' father. Yeah. But that's where I recognize him for. He was also in Euphoria, which I haven't watched, but I know you have. He was Mr. Darren. Okay. So I did not like how he treated Alex. He was no. very rude to the small boy who, what would you say, was like 10 Yeah, had to be. He barks at him to get some tea. Yeah. The Magus met Hathaway at a museum and asked him for something. And he says, Hathaway says, I denied your request, but now I've changed my mind basically because my son died when his destroyer sank. Because this takes place in 1916, which is smack dab in the middle of World War One. Yep. Which started in 1914, ended in 1918. The Magus also lost his son at Gallipoli, which was a very big battle for in World War One. So Dr. John thinks that Randall was his only kid. So he's very confused about Alex. And the Magus explains that Randall was his favorite and that everything that was in the room that he was in was supposed to be for him. So he was going to probably pass off not only the building, but the order as well. And he says, Randall was my greatest joy. And the look on Alex's face was just, I wanted to give the little guy a hug. I know, he looked devastated. Yeah, so sad. So the Magus asked Dr. John if he brought the Magdalene Grimoire. But he says Maudlin. And I looked that up because I'm like, I see it says Magdalene with the, you know, the closed caption, but he said Maudlin. And actually that was a like a thread on Reddit because people who know who read the comic book pronounce it Magdalene because that's what it says. Right. And apparently in the 15th century, the English called Mary Magdalene St. Mary Mondolin, kind of like Madeline in French. So it's kind of a callback to the original pronunciation of Magdalene by the English in the 15th century. Interesting. Yeah. So John pulls his grimoire out of his bag, and it's a big old book of spells, and asks if he gives him this book, can he really capture the angel of death? And the Magus is certain that that's what's going to happen. Right. So they can bring back their sons. Both of them. So it's nighttime now. And you see all of these people from the house dressed in these green robes walking down the hallway with these candles. And Alex over on the side is like, it's okay, Dr. John. Yeah, he looks very concerned. Like, who are these people and what are they doing? Right. So they make their way to the basement and the Magus opens the book and tells them that they're about to summon and imprison death here in the darkness. And then the people in the robes repeat back here in the darkness. Jump cut. Yeah, real quick, sudden. (laughs) Here we are in Berlin, Germany, and this is where we see Corinthian, who was the face that appeared in the stained glass window Mm -hmm. when Dream was talking to Lucien. Yes. So we know we can kind of tell that this is who Dream is coming to get is Corinthian because he killed a man just to watch him die. Yep. In front of his car. Yep. With a knife. So if we were playing Clue, Corinthian would be the killer with the knife in front of the car. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see him kill him and Dream appears and he says, and he's, his voice is a lot deeper than what you would expect Mm -hmm. from him when you finally see him. Yeah. But he says, my creations stay in the dreaming and he's, I got again, his mask is so cool. It just looks so cool on him. 
So Corinthian is confused and says, isn't this why you created me? Why should we confine ourselves in our seeping minds? Here in the waking world, there's nothing preventing us from taking whatever we want. So basically he's saying, this is the reason I exist. And the fact that I have the ability to do something means that I'm going to do it. Right. Basically, they're unstoppable in the waking world. And his glasses are super cool. Yeah. So, you know, there's a reason why he wears glasses. Yeah. They are very dark. Dark and they stand out with his outfit. Then it's nighttime. So he has no reason to be wearing glasses. Exactly. And he's dressed all in white. His suit and his hat are all white. And then his glasses are pitch black dark. Just very well. The costume is amazing. After he says that, you know, basically they're unstoppable, Dream starts to send him back. And the first thing he does is disintegrate the knife. And Corinthian knows what's going to happen. And he's doing his thing and it's all like purple light and he's trying to send him back. And then all of a sudden, he gone. Yep. He starts turning (laughs) into his own dust. (laughs) Exactly. Like a dust tornado yep so we're back with the magus and he presents a coin a knife his own blood a song stolen from the dirt and a feather pulled from an angel's wing and i call bs where did he get the angel wing i that's what i wanted to know i mean if he's got to do all this gyration to pull out the angel of death where did he when he pulled the angel to get the angel's feather why didn't he just go yo can you bring death back to me right i'll give you your feather back So as he's doing this, the chanting gets quieter and suddenly the feather starts floating down. And then all of a sudden it goes back up and it catches on fire and it starts to turn into this big flashing blob. And there's a circle being drawn on the ground that's in gold. And it's just turning into this big magical moment. And then a body falls to the floor and everyone gasps. The Sandman is laying on the floor in the circle and the Magus calls for Alex. And he wants him to, without breaking the circle... Reach and get the pouch. Well, and here's the thing is the Magus started to try to take the pouch and then he pulled his hand back Mm. because he was afraid of what might happen Mm -hmm. if he touched it. So he's going to sacrifice his child and say, hey, come here and do this for me. Yep. Just piece of shit. The Magus asked him to get the jewel and then the helm. And so now they have taken all of this stuff from the Sandman. Alex got the ruby in the pouch. But actually, the Magus, gets the after helm. he sees it's safe, goes in and gets the helm. But before he does that, they do an aerial view of Dream laying there. And he's covered in a black cloak. I don't know, black satin blanket or something with just the mask sticking out. And it looks like he's a, like under a blob of ink. It's mm-hmm. really a cool visual. And the Magus pulls the fabric away to find what other treasures he's got besides the ruby and the pouch and out flies the raven. Right. And then you see Dream laying there naked and way too skinny. Yep. He's just like skin and bones. And the Magus gets in the circle then and takes his mask and says, we'll let our guest recover before we tell him our demands. And just the arrogance on this dude. Yep. I just, I just can't, but I, you know, it's, but he still doesn't know who he's got. He thinks he's got death. Yep. Which by the mask, you would think that that's death. I suppose. Yeah. Because of the spine. Yeah. So we get a narration from the Sandman again, who says he was powerless, trapped by a spell done by an amateur who had no care of the damage he had done in his realm. 
So now we're in London, England. And because he wasn't able to go do what the Sandman does every night, there are people who aren't waking up. They're calling this the sleepy sickness, and it affected almost a million people across the world. And the first person we see who can't wake up is a little girl named Unity. Mm -hmm. Put a pin there. But it affected everyone in every city, town, and village in the world. Yep. So it wasn't just England that got messed up. Nope. (laughs) It's everybody. So we're back at the mansion, and Corinthian shows up on Mangus's front porch. The Mangus let him in and asked if he knows who he is, and Corinthian says no, but he knows about the Mangus. So he lets the Magus know that he knows what's trapped in his basement. And the Magus thinks he's about to be blackmailed, but Corinthian actually offers his help and says he's going to need all the help he can get. He knows who he's dealing with. So he's going to try and use this mortal to basically help him stay safe. Right. He tells the Magus that he has one of the endless and says that death has family. He's not the only one. So there's in the family, we've got desire destiny and despair and then the magus asks who he has and corinthian says dream so magus thinks that he's got a god and corinthian explains that they're not gods they're more than gods right he does the magus doesn't think what good is the god of dreams right again the arrogance but when corinthian says he has more than a god he also says are men not governed by their dreams Which is an excellent question because most of your life is built on what you daydream about and what you want. So what you want is a dream until you actually make it real. Right. So Corinthian asks if he's taken all the trinkets from dream and explains that having his stuff will give him some of the powers. So it'll extend your lifespan, allow you to manipulate others and keep you youthful. He just has to keep him from escaping. Yeah, which is kind of important. Kind of. The Magus says the circle will keep him. And Corinthians like, no, no. <laughs> you need to build a glass sphere to contain his physical manifestation inside the circle. Then he tells him not to let anyone fall asleep in his presence or he will escape into their dreams. So then he gives them, calls them forced march pills. Yeah. Basically uppers mm-hmm. that they were using during World War One to keep the people awake in the trenches. Mm-hmm. So then he gives him those uppers to keep his guards awake. So the Magus asks Corinthian why he's helping him. And Corinthian says basically that the Sandman created him and he can uncreate him as well. Right. I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. Exactly. <laughs> they walked outside and Corinthian says they're being observed. And of course, because the Magus is an arrogant jerk. He says, well, I don't see anybody. And then Corinthian picks up a rock out of the driveway and throws it at a tree and the raven flies out. Corinthian explains that the raven is Jessamine and she is hanging out with Dream Mm -hmm. and that basically she's his eyes and ears. So the Magus asks Corinthian if they'll ever meet again and Corinthian says, I sure hope not and gets in the car and drives away. So that's the end of Corinthian and Magus interacting. Right. So he was there to just basically say, you got the powers, you're being watched, keep them guarded. Right. And you don't have enough power, so you got to put the glass sphere on him. Now we're back with the dream with Magus and Alex, and Magus asks if he's awake and listening. The Magus says he knows who he is, but that's not who he wanted to capture. It wasn't him that he wanted. He wanted death and he wanted to bring back his son. He says basically to the dream, if you can bring back my son, I'll release you. Right. And then he says, is that in your power, Lord of Dream? No, I suppose not. 
then, because he realizes that Dream can't bring back his son because he's not death, he asks what he can give him if he gives back his things. So now he's bargaining with the ruby, the pouch of sand, and the mask. Mm-hmm. Or the helm. Sandman has nothing to say about that. He is stuck to his guns, not talking. And he pretends that he's still sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) Been there. Done it. (laughs) So the Magus says that until he's ready to talk, he's going to continue to enjoy the things that he's given him. And then you see this. It cuts to Alex, who looks very confused, who is looking back and forth between the dream and his father and is like trying to figure out basically whose side he should be on exactly because his he he knows his father and his father is not a good man and he sees this trapped creature that looks very vulnerable and he doesn't have any of his stuff so really what kind of what kind of man does that to another man exactly and because he never did give dream any clothes so dream is naked inside this glass ball yeah then we get dream narration And he says, day after day, he pleaded for gifts that are not mankind's to receive, nor mine to give. So I remained silent. Fast forward 10 years, and he's still in that basement. Yep. And his ruby brought youth and prosperity to the Magus and his followers. The rest of the world still suffered. So everyone's still dealing with the repercussions of the dream not being available to do his job. Right. And we see a very large party going on at the... The Magus' house. And Alex is reading a newspaper, which is talking about the sleeping sickness that is still going on 10 years later. And the butler comes up and says, hey, you're not doing your job. So he grabs a bunch of coats and dumps them somewhere. Not where they should be, probably. No. (laughs) Like in a chair or something. And he goes outside and there's a bunch of people milling around outside the front of the, the mansion. And Alex says, hey, you know, there's no room in there for you so just go and come back tomorrow so this guy challenges alex and is like who speaks for the magus and someone in the crowd says that he's the magus's son this woman who is dressed in all white with a little white feather in her hair calls this guy a fucking twat and then says that alex can do magic so she asks the guy if alex wants him to put a spell on him and hex his unborn children and then says no then you should leave so the guy asks if they can still come back tomorrow and Alex, thinking on his toes, is like, yeah, you can come back for cash only. (laughs) Bring the cash, baby. Right. So then the woman tells everyone to piss off and leave and everybody leaves. I love her. (laughs) Alex says, thank you. And she says, oh, well, you didn't need my help. And that she bets that he can actually do magic. And Alex says that he can't do much of anything. He's a normal guy. She says, that's not true. You're more powerful than you know. Can you get me in to see the Magus? Then they go inside. So the next morning, Alex is cleaning up the mess of the party and hears two of the guards talking. And one of the guards says that he's not staying down there with the dream another minute. And the other guy says, well, we can't just leave him alone. They're waiting for the next shift of guards to come up. Yes. Alex walks up and says he'll watch him so they can go because Alex is wanting to get dream alone. Mm hmm. And he this is he sees his opportunity finally. So Alex goes down and talks to him and says, ask if he's all right in his bubble. Then he says, no, of course you aren't. And then he apologizes and said his dad isn't a bad man. And I thought, hmm, that's really a childlike version of not wanting to speak ill of your parent, because even though, you know, He's bad. You have that nugget of hope inside you that he's not, even though he's treated you like crap your entire life. Yeah. 
Then he tells, he's almost pleading with Dream, give the Magus something and he'll let him out. And Alex says that he'd let Morpheus out if he could. So as he's saying that, his father comes up from the dark shadows, being (laughs) spooky-like, and says, you would, would you? The Magus takes Alex upstairs and starts shoving him to the ground and says if he released the Dream, that they would be slaughtered. While he's yelling at him about, you know, if you let Dream out... He'll kill us all. Is that what you want? Do you want to die? And it's kind of like, do you want to die? And he's got his cane in the air and he's going to beat Alex to death with the cane, basically, is what's happening. So the Magus is freaking out. And then all of a sudden, Jessamy is knocking at the window. The Magus realizes what's going on and stops with Alex. And the woman in white is now wearing a robe and walks in and says, what's going on? The Magus explains that it's just me and that he's been trying to kill this bird for 10 years now. And Alex says, that can't be the same bird. At this point, the Magus reaches over, grabs a rifle, points it at Alex, and asks if that's what the dream told him to say. Alex denies it, and then Magus says, prove it to me, and hands the rifle off to Alex to go kill this bird. Says, shoot the fucking bird. This is when we learn about who, what Ethel's name is. Because for a minute, she and Alex look at each other like, what the hell just happened? And then the Magus calls her and says, Ethel. And then she follows the Magus out, and Alex goes out to hunt for Jessamy. And I think that was important because that kind of puts a little bit of, like, they're in this together kind of a thing. Like, she still thinks, she thinks he's cool. Yeah. So. So Alex is walking around the grounds with a rifle, and Jessamy is flying above the grounds and goes in the mansion via an open door. She lands inside and is attempting to find the dream. She's in the study with a Magus who can't see her, and she's being a raven, which are very smart birds. Watches him light this match and... I think light a candle. He lit a cigarette. He lit a cigarette. And he walks away. And so she jumps onto the table, picks up a match, flies away, lights it on the side of a wall, and lights this paper on fire that's sitting in a chair. So two of the guards come out of the basement and see all of the smoke. And they're like, should we call the fire brigade? And the other one's like, well, we are the fire brigade. And then they run away. So Jessamy takes his time to go down and fly down to the basement to see the dream. Dream is sitting there and sees his bird for the first time in 10 years and is just, I'm sure, thrilled to see her. Right. And they're looking at each other and he's like reaching out for the bird. And they're kind of, she's like flapping up against the sphere. Like she's excited to see him too. And then all of a sudden you hear this bang and there's blood everywhere. Right. Alex is standing behind the bird and with his dad behind his shoulder. And his dad, of course, couldn't be happy that he got this bird after 10 years. He's been hunting this bird for 10 years. Alex had the rifle for probably an hour (laughs) and got it. (laughs) Yeah, he's just a fucking asshole. I just don't like this guy. And of all the things that he says, he says, you could have broken the glass. Yeah, and he calls him an idiot. Idiot, you could have shattered the glass and ripped the gun out of his hands. Alex was actually kind of horrified by what he had just done. Yeah. The look on his face was just like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Yeah, I think it hit him that he killed someone's pet. Right, because Dream looks really, really sad. And then the Magus tells the guards to clean up the mess. And then there's a little bit of, you can kind of see the tears welling in Dream's eyes because he's just lost his friend. And Alex picked her up off the ground and walked away with her. I also have that he gave Dream a very disdainful look. Like, he knew what he did was wrong. Yeah. Another narration from Dream, he says, The savagery of my captors bespoke a world whose dreams in my absence turned darker still. A world which soon would be at war again. So it's 1926 now. They were at war with this disease that they now call encephalitis lethargica. 
people were unable to sleep or became perpetual sleepwalkers or couldn't wake from their sleep at all. And that's when we take the pin out because we see Unity, the girl from the when they first happened, she's in in a bed now in like a hospital. Right. And she's still sleeping. She's been sleeping for 10 years. So this cute boy (laughs) walks up to Alex. Jump cut. Alex is laying on a blanket in the middle of the yard. And this cute boy walks up to him and is like, hey, what you reading? And was he mowing? What did he have? It looked like he had a wheelbarrow of stuff. To me, it seemed like one of those grass spreaders, like the grass seed spreaders that you use. Yeah. But I wasn't quite sure what he had. All I know is I called him the gardener after that. So he asks Alex what he's reading, and Alex explains that he's been doing more sleeping than reading. And the groundskeeper asks if he's read Borrowed Bodies. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, but it's very obvious that they're into each other. Oh, yeah. As they're standing there flirting, you can hear glass breaking in the house. Alex goes to see what the crash was in the house, and he's coming down the hallway. The Megas comes around the corner, so he ducks out of the way so the Megas doesn't see him. Then he goes to find Ethel crying in her room. So Ethel is crying because she's just found out she's pregnant. And Alex, not knowing his dad enough, I guess, was like, that's great news. (laughs) Exactly. And she explains that the Magus wants her to get rid of the baby. Right. So she's calling a doctor as soon as she can. And then by the nighttime, she's getting in a car with her packed bags to never come back again. The thing I have about that is that, you know, Alex is comforting her, trying to comfort her. And she wipes the tears away as she's looking at herself in the mirror. And she says, I'll be fine, which is such a woman thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we take on so much and we have to be strong and we know that no one else is going to be strong for us. So we have to wipe the tears away and be the bad bitch and just take care of business. Like, (laughs) she calls an Uber and leaves in the dead of night. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning, the Magus finds out that not only is she gone, she took the helm, the pouch, the ruby and grimoire and $200,000 in cash. Go Ethel. Yeah, go girl. (laughs) So Magus is certain that she's taken more of that and tells Sykes their, I guess, butler. Yeah. To find her. He goes to see Dream and he tells them that Ethel robbed them both and says he'll let him out if he gives him what he wants. Basically using the, you know, using the, hey, she's got your shit too. Give me what I want and I'll let you out so you can go get your stuff. Hoping probably that he would kill Ethel. Right. But but Dream's not talking. He won't acknowledge him. So the Magus gets mad and starts hitting the glass with his cane saying, speak to me. Because for what, 10 years now, Dream has just been completely silent, silent yeah. and not given him anything. Then Alex comes up and puts his hand on the Magus's shoulder. And the Magus knocks him down and says, get away from me. If you were any kind of son to me. And then he starts beating him with the cane again. Alex grabbed the cane. The Magus says, if Randall were alive today, Alex says, and this is so good. If Randall were alive today, he'd hate you as much as I do. And then they pushed each other and the Magus had his back to the sphere. So he gets pushed back into the glass sphere and hit his head on the glass and falls to the ground with a puddle of blood behind his head. And he's dead. Well, before he dies, he looks at Dream and says, you're never going to get out of there. Right. His last breath is just being a dick. (laughs) Yep. Alex and Dream are having a stare off 
And Alex is trying to decide what he's going to do from here because there's no Randall. There's no father. The order is probably his. The mansion is his. Dream is now officially his. So what do you do? Right. And he had told Dream that he would let him out if he could. So now he can. Dream puts out his hand, you know, like in a plea to Alex and Alex put his hand out. And then the guard says, what would your father say? And the moment was broken. And Alex says he needs to think. So Alex is in an alcove in the rain and it's this beautiful, like green room looking thing. And Paul, who we find out his name later, but his name is Paul. Shows up again, and he's the gardener who was flirting with Alex earlier. And Alex explains to him that his father is dead. Paul expresses his condolences and then reaches out and holds Alex's hand. Oh, How cute. No. Not really a meat cute, but still. Right. <laughs> it's kind of a meat traumatic, but that's fine. <laughs> it's a trauma bond. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dream says... Out of loss, new love was born, as was new life. For nine months later, Ethel Cripps gave birth to a son. And you see the baby in his bassinet. So she's telling her son the story of the Sandman. She says, but the Sandman's not coming. From now on, you and I are going to have to make our own dreams come true. Nothing and no one is going to stand in our way. And she had the ruby around her neck. Yep. Little baddie. She's a bad bitch. And the baby's name is Johnny. Back at the mansion, Alex asks one of the guards how Dream is doing, and the guard says that he's moved his hand. (laughs) So that's about all we're getting out of him. So Alex has brought down Paul to the cage, basically, and said, Paul, this is our unwilling guest. And Alex and Paul have been talking, and Alex says, if I let you out, will you promise not to harm us? Dream says that he didn't trust him. So he didn't say anything, and he didn't get out. Jump cut. Alex is now an old man, so figuring he was probably 20 when his dad died, I'm going to say 50 years later-ish. I'd say he was... I'm guessing old dude, 70-something, so it's probably 50 years later. Yeah. And he's talking to Dream again and asking him again to not kill them if he lets them out. And Paul is there with the wheelchair. Alex says, take me upstairs, Paul. I won't be coming down again because Dream isn't talking to him. Dream has not changed his M.O. at all in these past however many years. Yeah. Alex said to him, I could have asked you for wealth or power like my father did, but all I ever wanted was to be free of you. Surely you want that, too. You know, he tried one last time. and was just like, I don't want the stuff that my father wants. Exactly. Please just talk to me. I just want you to know that you're not going to kill me. And as Paul is wheeling Alex away, the wheelchair breaks the circle. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Paul saw it. Did you notice that? Paul yeah, saw it and back. he just kept walking. Well, he wouldn't know any better. He wasn't True, part of the he order. He didn't know. He didn't know. Mm-hmm. So one of the guards starts talking to the other guard and Sandman and they're talking about calling him Dracula and why he would call him Dracula. And she's like, oh, I think you're he's a Dracula. Did you notice what she was reading? She was reading a Stephen King novel. Oh, really? I don't know which one it was. I just saw Stephen King on the spine. That would make sense. Yeah. Time-wise. Yeah. yeah. As they're having this conversation, the other guy starts bringing up vacation. And while they're talking about this vacation, he starts to yawn and doze off. And all of a sudden, he's at the beach and he sees these people playing volleyball. And the ball comes toward him and then the people disappear. 
And he looks up to where the people were, and there's this figure walking towards him. And we know it's Dream. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So Dream bends over and picks up the sand and blows it in his face. Uh-huh. The guards start shooting, and we in his dream, he starts shooting. And then we go back to what's really happening, and he's shooting at the sphere. He's shooting at Dream in the bubble, and the glass breaks. So the dream is standing there with sand still in his hand. Mm-hmm. And the guard tells him to open his hand and he releases sand and puts them to sleep. And then he escapes into a portal into what I'm assuming was his realm. Right. Alex wakes up from his sleep. And what you find out is that he's actually still dreaming. Right. And he's, he's young again. Right. Well, he walks down a hallway and looks in a mirror and sees himself as young. Yeah. And he sees this cat that starts to go up the spiral staircase, and he follows the cat up the staircase. And I think he recognizes the cat. It must have been his cat at one time because he called it by its name. Yeah. Once he gets to the top of the stairs, Dream is there talking to Alex. And he says, do you have any idea what it was like, confined in a cage for over a century? Do you understand the damage you've done to your world? And Alex tries to tell him, like, I have no idea. I was barely a part of this, even though he was very complicit after a certain point. Right. And then the dream says, your punishment should be a gift. I give you this, the gift of eternal sleep. So we cut back to real time and Alex is laying in bed, like freaking out, sleeping still. And Paul is desperately trying to wake him up and he can't. Right. Now we have more dream narration. And he says, more than a century of tortured sleep of dreams and nightmares running riot was coming to an end. And then we see Corinthians sitting at a desk and looks like, New York-ish, something like that. He's in a city somewhere. Looks like there's a bottle of Jack on the desk. And he just says, he's free. He's out of his cage. Did you notice his eyes were bleeding? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like a tear of blood. Mm -hmm. So there's a guy there that he must have been torturing. He goes to a mirror, Corinthian does, goes to a mirror and says, he's not going to stop until he reshapes the world to look just like him. And we see his eyes for the first time because he doesn't have his glasses on. And it's just two black holes. Mm -hmm. So as he's walking away from the mirror, he walks up to the body that he was torturing and pets the cheek of a man who's got gouged out eyes. Yeah. And he has new glasses. I don't like these glasses as much as I like the other ones. I like the original glasses. (laughs) But he, you know, he brought it up into the 20th century. I was just going to say, I guess time has passed. So you have to stick with what's what's (laughs) hip. Although those glasses that he had back in 1916 would totally go. Kill now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He'd be eating it up. Oh, yeah. Next thing we see is Dream laying in the sand and Lucienne comes up to him. And they they reunite and everything's happy because he's at home. And they're walking up through the sand to a very ornate, huge wall. Just giant. Yep. Dream touches it and it opens. And Lucien tells him, basically, the realm is fucked up since you've been gone, dude. It's just not not good. And when he walks in, it's bad. It's very, very bad. Yeah. It's very decrepit and decayed. Yeah. The castle that he had was falling apart. There were no leaves on the trees. Everything was black and gray. No good. She says, you're the dreaming. And the realm started to decay. And most everyone has left. Someone looking and others thought he had abandoned them. He says he'll bring back dreams and nightmares. He made the realm once and he'll make it again. And see. And that's the Sandman. Yeah. First episode. I totally loved it. 
Loved everything about it. I love the steampunk vibe. I love the whole incantation. I'm going to do spells and shit, even though the guy was an asshole. I loved it. It's right up my alley. Totally. And yes, I will. It flew. It's flying just like Jessamy before she got shot. And I'm going to watch the rest of it for sure. Can't say the same. Oh, no. Yeah. I was infuriated by the end of it. (laughs) Because I went through all of this with all of these characters that I was like taking notes on and was super interested in. And then they all died. Like there was... I get that it was setting up the rest of the show. And this is kind of why I was stumbling at the beginning because I didn't want to reveal how I felt about the show. You should have. Well, I wanted to wait for that moment. Um, (laughs) Because you knew I would like it. I knew you liked it. (laughs) Um, The IMDb description of it made it sound a lot more interesting to me than I thought it was going to be. So the hunt, and I'm sure... If I do continue to watch it, because, I mean, I've said I wasn't going to watch some of the other ones and I ended up watching them. Right. Um, If I do continue to watch it, I'm sure that it'll grow on me because I'm more interested in him finding out. I'm interested in Ethel. Yeah. And the baby. And the baby. And I'm interested in him finding his stuff and recreating the dream. But as far as the characters in the pilot episode, I was infuriated by all of them. None of them felt important (laughs) to me. And the people I wanted to learn more about were not giving me information. So if I had to go based off of this episode, I probably wouldn't watch more than just the first episode. I wanted so much more from it. Because aesthetically, I thought it looked incredible. I thought visually it was beautiful. Just the story was lacking for me. See, I totally disagree. I thought it was the perfect setup for what's going to happen. Because, you know, as he's looking for all of his stuff, he's going to run into nightmares in the waking world. And he's going to take care. Did you see the coming up on? Did you stay and watch the coming up on? I didn't watch the coming up on because I didn't want to be influenced by what the rest of the show is going to be. It looks super cool. It really looks super cool. I mean, and I knew before we got there that I was going to watch the rest of it because as soon as it started, I looked at you and said, yeah, this is this is going to be awesome. And I could tell you like, you're like, yeah, maybe because I was like all jazzed and you were like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just the fact that, well, A, I wonder if other endless are going to come in like destiny and despair and maybe even death. What are the endless? Why are the endless? You know, all that kind of stuff is probably going to be explained. And the fact that he's going to be looking for his stuff and running into other dream creatures is interesting. But yeah, I'm totally, I love it. Totally love it. Well, you have to let me know what you think of it. I will. (laughs) And you're probably going to end up watching it too. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So go watch... The Sandman. The Sandman. All right. So this one flew for me, but not for Sasha. The first time we've disagreed. It it is. It is, isn't it? Yep. But you kind of liked, there was one you kind of liked that I didn't like. I kind of like Schitt's Creek. I can't remember what other ones we've done, though. It was, um, you're going to hate watch it. Anyhow, this is really our first total disagreement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me sad. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Love you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To support us, please leave a positive review. Follow us on Instagram at underscore willitfly. If you have an idea about a show you'd like us to watch, you can email us at willitflyinfo at gmail.com.